Hello, baby. You're listening to My Perfect Playlist with me, Mark Nelson. Hello and welcome to the brand new series of My Perfect Playlist. I'm your host, Mark Nelson. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. We're back. We're back after a long, long, lengthy delay when uh, work has been mental, family life has been mental, but I am absolutely delighted that I'm back. I hope you are too. Um, I've got some cracking, cracking guests coming up. I've recorded about four of them for the new series so far, and uh, we're starting off with a banger today. Uh, my guest today... I wasn't a comedian, but he's very, very much attached to comedy. You will know him if you were a fan of the Saturday Night Live at the Stand shows, the live stream shows that we did to entertain the entire nation, if the entire nation was made up of 1,500 dedicated people. It is Al. Al, uh, the technician who was on the other side of the camera when it was just the two of us in a flat for weeks upon weeks during the lockdown, keeping everyone entertained. The man that managed to technologically fuck up most weekends. So uh, I thought I'd get him on the other side and see if I could mess up quite a bit. It's a cracking episode, cracking playlist as you would expect. So enjoy this new version, this new episode, sorry, this episode in the brand new series of My Perfect Playlist. Lovely to be back. Here it is, the one with Al, Tiesto himself. Enjoy. Al, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Good. I, um, after 18 months of dancing through the rain, managed to get COVID uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I've come out of that and feeling like two weeks of not drinking because I c- couldn't face the idea of alcohol. Suddenly the world are good. Yeah. Like, don't get COVID. Holy shit. I mean, I know you you had it as well, but like, don't get it, man. It's, it's really not recommended. Nah, I know. It's like that. Uh, and then you realise, like, how bad would it have been if you didn't have the vaccine? Like, oh, I God, yeah. honestly, like, I'd be dead. Like, so. And I don't, like, obviously, there's going to be lots of people listening to this, but I'm the only one in all of my WhatsApp groups that have had it. It's weird. Oh, really? Yep, yep. Don't know anyone else that's had it directly. Well, they might. I mean, they might have. And then they just, just got more taste, yeah. That's the thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you lose your uh, your taste sensations? I did not. I was really lucky. It was it was mild, just like a really bad flu, bad that, fever. That was the worst bit for me. And mm. I've not really fully got it back yet. But Oh really? Because I always thought, right, when see if you lose your, your sense of taste and the sense of smell, I reckon you'd be like proper fit. Because food would no longer be a pleasurable thing, it would just be fuel. So you could eat the healthiest, yeah. most bogging tasting shit possible. Vegetables. But yeah, but I, yeah, 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 yeah. All the stuff you don't normally eat. But uh, it actually makes everything taste fucking horrible when you've got no taste. And the last thing you want to do is put anything there. Is it like churning through like uh, airplane food? I, even worse than that. There's, I mean, and, and, and the thing is, you can almost... It's because because I think it's because you're you're just going by texture, mm. and most foods actually don't have that great a texture. <laughs> <laughs> when you actually get down to it, the taste the taste is really doing a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to food. Well, no, I was lucky to avoid that. So, but yeah, but not having drank, I've been sleeping much better. I've mm-hmm. been sprightly and active. I feel really good. Still too stone overweight, but very Aye. good. Ah, you need to get um. 
You need Finn. to get right, <laughs> right, shaming yeah. me. No, I'm not. I'm not shaming. I was trying to think of another <laughs> disease you could get, but all I could think of was AIDS, and I was like, it's a, it's an extreme weight loss program, but it works. I mean, it really does. Right, my b- biggest fear about doing this podcast, like I'm, I'm behind the scenes. I have been for years and years and years. It's given too much away, mm-hmm. but, but for reasons I won't go into, I've got two separate bits of paper that say I don't have AIDS because they couldn't work out what was wrong with me. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> that's the that's the pa- that's the vaccine passport you need to take in everywhere. <laughs> Guy looks like he's got AIDS. Well, I think you're fine, sir. But I actually have two re- two reasons to tell you that I don't. <laughs> oh, God. Right, uh, opening song. Thanks for sending your playlist. It's fucking cracking. It really Great. is. It's really good. Uh, opening song is uh, "Modern Way of Letting Go" by Aldi Wild. What a song, man. Like, I have loved... Idlewild, definitely one of my favourite bands, mm. if not my favourite. They were... I was introduced to them in, like, 1998 when I was doing student radio. And then just last weekend, it was their 25th anniversary and they played the Usher Hall. Mm-hmm. So I've been with them my entire adult life. And, you know, like, Roddy is such a poet. The, the, the songwriter, Roddy Wimble, yeah, he's an absolute poet. Some of it is obtuse bollocks, and some of it's so sweet and tender and caring. But they're at their best when they're angry and they're mm-hmm. in your face. And this is, uh, I think, this is off their most popular album. Uh, was that was that was it Remote Part? It's a Remote yeah. Part. Yeah, yeah. That's oh, a, I I love them as well. Like they're so because I I didn't I didn't really keep up with later Idlewild, but right at the start, the proper fucking thrashy because they were like they were like scotland's grunge band yeah yeah absolutely i mean they were, they were they were influenced definitely by nirvana mm-hmm. in, in in many ways but the, you should keep going like uh, everything ever written they did a couple of self-funded albums like there was dark years where it wasn't going so well um and every album's got one really bitey song on it mm-hmm. and it's fantastic I mean, uh, what's it called? Is it called Interview Music? The latest album. It's not really. I think it's um, very heavily influenced by Roddy's in, uh, interest in space and travel and all that. <laughs> it's shit. But um, but no, it was really good seeing them at the Usher Hall because, like, fair play, 25th anniversary. You're a band from Edinburgh. Of course you're going to book the Usher Hall. You're going to play Aye. Carnegie Hall, aren't you? Well, I mean, that's like me playing with flyaway football at Hamden. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they just didn't quite suit the venue. But, man, I love them, and this is this is them at their angriest best. Yeah. They remind me, do you know what? They remind me a bit of early REM. Uh, yeah. Bizarrely. Well, I and I don't I know s- why. I, that's quite a common comparison. Yeah. But I've, I've sat during lockdown and listened to REM all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I get it, but... I don't really like the early REM stuff. The college, the, the kind of college stuff that REM there. But it's kind of like Orange Crush kind of REM. They, they remind me a lot of that. I don't... I've heard that a lot, but I don't see it. I don't, I don't really get it. Um, REM, to me, is more Man on the Moon, Lotus. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Stuff yeah. like that, when they've they've sort of grown up already. Tell you what, like if you if you like the older REM stuff, then you'll probably like the the older 
Idlewild stuff as well. And, and Roddy's solo stuff, the first two albums in particular, are a happy man in the Highlands, having a great time. Ah, cool. Excellent stuff. Song that reminds you of your childhood. Fire and Rain by James Taylor. I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see Jimmy Taylor, man. Jim, James Taylor is, I reckon, the world's first time traveller. <laughs> because he's come to, like modern day he's turned up put on the telly and watched the beatles get back seen john lennon on it go all oh, right that's to be a, that's how to be a functioning heroin addict because <laughs> james taylor was out of his entire box for decades but wrote some of the most beautiful soulful music ever he's incredible and my mum was a big james taylor fan and john denver as well like this, do you, do you know the song yourself? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I mean, I, 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 I knew it to hear it. I, 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 since I've looked into it, it's a, uh, it's got a lot. Of inter- I mean, it's it's like a, it's, a, it's a pretty dark song actually. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think there's like three different chapters to it. I yeah. Can't quite remember them all, but um, like Buddy Holly and Richie Valance, when that flight goes down, mm-hmm. that that's the third verse, and it's it's such a tragic song. And it's just, I don't know, like, my mum had the greatest hits, and if I'm perfectly honest, that I haven't really got much further than the great hits myself. But those 19 songs I know inside out, and whether it's, like, fairly cheesy country, like Steamroller, or, or this, or, what's that song? Um, oh, You Can Close Your Eyes. What a fucking song! But it was, yeah, Fire and Rain was was the one that ha- when there was ever music on in the house which was very rarely it happened it was it was either um panpipes versions of the beatles <laughs> or james taylor and this is you know this says wonderwall it's, it's just incredible yeah yeah, yeah. it's because he wrote it at three separate times so he kept coming right. back to it the fuck because he, he started writing it he, he auditioned which i didn't realize you had to do he auditioned to be represented by apple so Aye, when, well, is that is that just like going to a record company and like putting in demos or? Yeah, but I never I never realised you'd actually have to go and audition. Like I don't know whether that was an Apple. I mean, and th- and this was when like kind of Apple were starting to fold as well. This was kind of later on. So about sixty eight, did it with that, and um, yeah, it's, it's basically just about the highs and lows of drug addiction and the, the suicidal <laughs> death of one of his pals. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's a lovely childhood song, it really is. Well, you know, well, it's funny, like, I, I used to work at um, Fourth One, the radio station in uh-huh. Edinburgh, like Clyde and Glasgow and North Sound and whatever, and um, we put on, there was always gigs at the castle uh, during the during the summer, and obviously there was free tickets flying around, but demand was so high, because the bands were brilliant, James Taylor was one, so there's a, they put in a ballot for it, um, to see who got what tickets. Absolutely lucky as hell. And I got two tickets for James Taylor, and I couldn't go, and I can't remember if it was a holiday or work or whatever it was, but I couldn't go. So I gave them to my mum. And she was absolutely delighted over the moon. And then, like, three weeks went by, and I didn't hear anything from her. I was like, oh, how's that gig? Is it all? Oh, we couldn't go, so we just gave them to friends. <gasps> oh, God. They had a great time, though. It was really, like, there was blankets for them and little heaters, and they could see... <laughs> they were in their fucking royal box. 
bastard. Um, so, so your mum and dad never really paid, played music that much in the house? No, nah, no, nah, I can picture the record player, the music centre, Panasonic thing, and we'd play with the buttons, and they maybe had 20 records from Please Please Me to, like, the best of the Beach Boys. But John Denver, the, oh, man, uh, every Christmas, it wasn't Christmas until uh, Shaken Stevens came on. Oh, God. Um, but no, just we grew up in a house, there wasn't that much music on, the radio was never on, mm-hmm. because we grew up in a valley, so we didn't get anything. Ah, uh, right, I see, so yeah, so, yeah. Like we we didn't get Radio One, we had to go down to the end of the road and listen to, you know, the, the evening session there. Wow. Um. So yeah, we uh, we just didn't grow up with music, and then it was when my brother started sort of getting older and or older. He would have been, yeah, like thirteen, fourteen, and buying CDs and stuff. That's I got music music off him, and that's how I got into it. And then it was non-stop. What about you? Did you grow up with a, a musical? Household? Yeah, quite a lot actually. Um. A lot of my music came from driving around about Scotland on holiday mm-hmm. and just tapes that my mum and dad had in the car. It, it, it ranged from everything to like from like Runrig to Christa mm-hmm. Berg and it was mm-hmm. just like everything. So that's that's how I got to know the Beatles. That's a, a lot, a hell of a lot of Simon and Garfunkel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that just, just kind of, and at the time you're really pissed off because you think this music's utter shite. And then you look back and go, ah, oh, that's actually, I'm really glad that I, I heard all those songs really early on. Yeah, it'd be a hell of an education. Like, yeah. I hated the Beatles, I just didn't get it, because it was literally panpipe versions. <laughs> and then we were, there was like some school, some Andram performance, and it was a musical based around Eleanor Rigby. And right. I remember Eleanor Rigby being, that's a tune, who wrote that? What the, be-? you know, didn't make any yeah. sense. And then it wasn't really until sort of 94, 95 when I started listening to Sgt. Peppers and going, oh, hang on, these guys rock. These are, This is fucking great. I think that's quite a, a common thing because I know, like, my wife um, always kind of went on, like, I don't really like the Beatles, I don't really like the Beatles. And then every time a song would come on, rather, if, if it was used in a film, if it was used in TV, or if she just heard it, she'd go, oh, I love that song. And I was like, you know, that's the fucking Beatles. And then suddenly you find out, oh no, you are actually a huge fan of the Beatles. You just didn't realise they did all these amazing songs. Yeah. Some cool things about James Taylor, because James Taylor, I was kind of looking into this, and he was basically the first kind of singer-songwriter. Because up until right. that, it had mostly been, I mean, by singer-songwriter, I mean a person that was uh, writing their own songs and performing them. Because before that, you had songwriters and performers. Mm-hmm. So, like say Elvis, like say Sinatra, yeah, yeah, yeah. they would all yeah. get their stuff given to them, and then after that, it was it was just groups. So it was right. like the Who, it was the Beatles. So he was the first kind of person that started writing his own songs and then performing them. God. So like after, like literally after him, the floodgates opened. So like Billy Joel, Elton John, all came mm-hmm. straight after James Taylor. And because this song is a uh, a lot of it is about uh, one of his pals that a. Uh, she committed suicide in an asylum um, and uh, he suffered from huge depression himself. He used to go around basically saying that he didn't have any friends and Carol King mm-hmm. uh, oh. spoke to him about it and the song You've Got a Friend is inspired by the conversation that he had with Carol King. Yeah, yeah. Were they not married as well? Like Possibly. he's got a long, he's got a long list of absolutely incredible girlfriends mm-hmm. and partners. He's the sexiest, boldest man alive. Yeah. He looks like 
I mean, he looks like an old junkie. <laughs> it's incredible how much fanny heroin can get you. Like, it's, <laughs> it's really not. I mean, I know, I know. In anti-drugs messages, they always say about the bad sides of heroin, but. <laughs> But a hell of you, a lot more folk would be into it if they go, look at the fucking... <laughs> well, that's it. I, mean, I, I remember, like, genuinely, like, in, was it 96, they tried to ban train spotting because it glamorised drug use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell, mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, how grim is your life if that looks glamorous? <laughs> Song that reminds you of being a teenager. And teenager. you've picked Alison's Starting to Happen by the Lemonheads. Alison's Starting to Happen. So I said my brother sort of got me into the music. Uh, my first album was uh, Joyride by Roxette. Nice. My second album was Tourism by Roxette. And then, <laughs> you know, it was uh, Brian Adams and sort of rock pop sort of stuff that was in the charts, you know. I think I was the guy who bought the, the Brian Adams single in week 14, you know, just to keep it going. But my brother was into grunge particularly, and he had... Um, he had the CD single. He, he, it was back when they had two CD singles and the second one was like an acoustic version or there'd be different B-sides just to get the sales going. And uh, Alison's starting to happen. The lyrics couldn't have fitted my life better as a as a pretentious little 13-year-old. <laughs> there was obviously a girl called Alison and there was like the whole relationship thing and the lyrics couldn't have fitted better. And if they didn't fit, I contorted them until they did. And that was like, right this is what music's about this is what meaning is holy fuck amazing and that, that that was the absolute floodgates for music loved it i mean the song's pretty scratchy you know when it comes on no when, i was gonna say when it comes on the radio when i put it on nobody likes it you know i can i can totally see why but to me it's the gateway to to music and then music got me into radio and that's yeah. so sort of why i'm sitting here now um there was a girl, Alison, that you fancied at school. Aye. She's 13 as well. Nice. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, it's early to be, like... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 93, 94. I'm pretty sure it was 93. Yeah, like, like I was... Did you out, Alison? Oh, no. Yeah, no. you know, uh, you know, group of friends and all Should that. Should have done heroin, man. Well... That would agree. <laughs> Well, can you imagine me, like, 13, 14, going around with Metallica t-shirts, like, skull necklaces, yeah. and beads? Do you remember Pie in the Sky in Glasgow? Did you go up to Pie No, I, I didn't. I've barely been to Glasgow by that point. Uh, well, it was, you know, like, the hippie shop where you could buy tie-dye t-shirts and band t-shirts and whatever. Mm -hmm. So I had, like, a thousand beads down my arm and it was, like long hair like it would have been like 10 inches long but blonde and wavy and greasy <laughs> and braces and an absolute mess yeah. but i realized that uh, yeah like there was some sort of expression out there there's some connection to to music that i'd never had before because you know like joining the joyride was good fun yeah this meant something and then you go in and then you know you can copy music off your pals and you know you make tapes and copy all the albums and like lemonheads one of my favorite bands as well everything he does is absolute gold so you go back to when they were a scratchy punk punk band in boston 
and you've only got five tapes, so you love it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that's true. Yeah, even through to now, where he's doing fucking cameos for seventy five bucks, you're like, oh, I could probably owe him seventy five quid along the line. Yeah, you know, he's, oh, Evan um, Dando. Oh, that's God. an interesting thing you said that, like, because do you think the oversaturation of music makes you makes people love stuff? They don't get yeah. they don't get as obsessed with stuff because I rem- I mean I, ex- I totally remember that when you you had a limited amount mm-hmm. so you would just overplay it and overplay it and it became yeah. it just became part of you. Yeah, it's 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 enforced familiarity, isn't it? It's um, if you've only got five CDs, then that's what you listen to mm-hmm. and it means everything to you and you and you focus in on that. Like I remember I was on holiday and I bought the Black Album by Metallica. And because Enter Sandman, you know, they were big singles off it and they were a massive band. Loved it. Went and bought the next, uh, the previous four albums on tape the next day. Spent all my money. And then just listened to them all the fucking time. Like I say, got the skull necklace and the t-shirts and the posters. Used to buy Krang and Raw every week. And the, the posters would be up on the wall. If I'd listened to Stevie Wonder when I was 14, I'd be a different person. Like, yeah. I'd be fucking happy. <laughs> <laughs> so how long so how long was after when, when did you decide that you wanted to work in radio then um what I kind of age it, oh um i was 18 19 a mate of mine was doing uh, hospital radio mm-hmm. in glasgow and i went i was just interested went down and i was like so you get to be in a room play music and talk about it and nobody can stop you holy shit i mean mm. and that's literally what he did and he would play the sort of what was he into he was more into like the stones and the who and fleetwood mac and stuff like that so when i got to uni i joined uh, the student radio fresh air and you know mucked in and did any old shit just to get noticed and mm-hmm. and trying to fall in with the cool kids and then i got a show at four in the morning like i got a phone call at like 11 o'clock at night saying somebody's dropped out so I took every CD I had down at four in the morning, and all six of my mates stayed up and listened to it. Oh. And yeah, it was it was fucking shambolic. And I've got tapes and tapes and tapes. I've got hours of recordings of student radio that you're meant to listen back to at the time and get better. Yeah, but of course they sent a plastic bag and will never get listened to. But that led on to work at Fourth, and then other places in XFM and into what I'm doing now. Were you, were you ever in a band? No. Do you never play instruments or ever have any kind of... Because that, that, that seems to be the kind that if you're properly into music, that would be like the two ways. You either play the music, as in Aye. play the music yourself, or you play the music for people. Aye. Well, no, I... Um, uh, bedroom guitarist, like, uh, I would amuse myself taught. My mum had this lovely classical guitar, that, and I bought the Lemonheads chord book for the for Come On Feel album. And sat and just worked it out, like forced my fingers into place, and eventually got a tune out of it. And then, yeah, like I'm, like I'm, I'm the, I wouldn't do it, but I'm at the level of pulling a guitar out at a party. <laughs> so, I've had a couple of, you know, we've been like me and my mates have been down to a practice room, maybe like five times in twenty years, just to just to knock out some tunes. Um, but no, never in a band. Always, always wanted to be able to sing and can't. <laughs> like I know it's just a skill you can learn, but never, I never really scratched that itch and never could write songs 
or was fucking terrified of trying and being shit at it so i never bothered (laughs) (laughs) so um but like you know when it when the midlife crisis really kicks in i'll uh, spend far too much money and the guitar can't play and then I know, me and you will do, like, Oasis covers. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, fucking can't. <laughs> Honestly, I can't wait. Um, before we move on, uh, one cool thing about this song, Alice Has Start to Happen, is uh, even Dando said that, um, because, so, they were hanging out with, uh, I never heard of them, there was an Australian band um, called Smudge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And bro- uh, Brilliantly shit. The drummer in it was a girl called Alison. All right. And she was going out with the bassist from the Lemonheads, and they were uh, in recording studio one day, and it was the first time that she'd ever taken ecstasy. And this song is about the reaction oh. to her coming up. Oh no! Yeah, oh, I kind of wish I didn't know that now. <laughs> <laughs> but that I think that's a really sense. cool story. Alison's starting to happen to me. Yeah. It... Oh wow. Yeah. So that's like the opposite of modern way of letting go. The first song we played, modern way of letting go, is a, it starts off about hedonism, just going out and yeah. letting off steam. And halfway through, they add in one word. So they add in the modern way of letting you go, and it's a breakup song. And it took me about three years to hear that or realize that. And now you're telling me that Alison is starting to happen is basically the opposite of that, where it's not a breakup song or, or a getting together song. It's about fucking hedonism. Yep. Fuck yep. off! It's about someone coming up in ecstasy. Oh. I fucking... Oh, I genuinely <laughs> do wish I didn't know that. That's like meeting your heroes. This is why I'm here, to ruin people's songs. What a prick. <laughs> 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 uh, right, next song. A song that gets you dancing. Do It to the Max by Six Borough Project. I heard this. There's no real story behind this except that it was on a playlist on Spotify and it just turned my head and went, this is a tune. It's got big beats. I know how to move my body to something this fucking obvious. And it's... I don't I don't know anyone else. I've never heard it played anywhere else. But if it came on, I'd be like, right, you and me, let's go and just throw ourselves around and not give a fuck. Yeah. You know? I'd, never, I'd never heard it until you sent it through. And it's a fucking beast of a song. Like, it is. It's great. And I've looked into other stuff by the same band, and it's not quite as good. It's not quite there. Right. But, like, it, you know, you put me at a wedding or a nightclub, and I will... Put me in a nightclub, and I will fucking hug that wall as hard as fuck and Aye. attempt not to dance. But I mean, if it's, this it's, came on... It'd be a hell of a cool wedding if they played this. Well... I mean, that's the wedding of the century if they're sticking this on. <laughs> fucking awesome. But yeah, no no other reason than it's just... A, a, it's got a great tune and a great beat. Best road trip song. Now, I'd never heard this either, and I fucking loved it. It's a song called Twinkle oh. Twinkle by Margot Price. Yeah, man, this was a mate of mine who, a singer-songwriter from New York, put us on to this. We were talking, my girlfriend actually was talking to him about music that she liked and she was trying to expand her horizons. 
and Lanch said, yeah, well, try and Margot Price, and this is off her new album, or latest album, and it's just, it's got fuzz on the organ, it's got distorted cards, it's not about the lyrics in any way, it's about the feeling, like you can just see the sort of rose-tinted, like the mud up the side of the car, the roof down, it's just yeah. an Americana song. That's what it's an Americana it's, song. It's, it's it reminds me of Cheryl Crow a lot. Just to kind of find someone Cheryl. that I yeah, remember she, Cheryl Crow. Yeah, yeah, I remember. But she got like good songs. Yeah, really. Remember the I remember the one where she kind of talks all the way through at the start. Um, all I want to do. All I want to do. Yeah, that's a good song. Mm-hmm. And then the yeah, second yeah, the second yeah. album that like every day's a winding road and yeah, if it makes you happy. Yeah. They were they were good. I suppose, yeah. But this is like better. This is genuine. Like Margot Price's back catalogue is. Brilliant. Oh yeah, uh, no, this is aye. But uh, I mean, it's really, it's really fucking cool. Like it's proper bluesy, and I loved yeah. it. She's like so this album that it came off is really good, and then her back catalogue. It's no, none of it's as rocky as this or as out there as this. But um, it's really uh, high quality Americana stuff, and just this one, you know. Uh, there's a lyric in it where uh, you might not get there and on the way it's a bitch. It's like fucking right. You're my kind of you're kind of my kind of person. Yeah, yeah, cracking. Do you know Do you know um, Laura Cantrell? I know the name. I she, don't know the work. Again, Americana mm-hmm. uh, singer songwriter. Um, yeah, she's got an album live at the BBC, and it's just phenomenal music i've really got into sort of like razor blade country in the last five ten years or so um razor blade country yeah like americana like really sad oh, right. <laughs> like... country like you know like like sort of towns vincent and, and uh-huh. Gra- grand parsons oh yeah um, yeah yeah but then like through to like ryan adams some of his stuff i mean so proper proper darkness that one he did about uh buying the sex string that was fucking brilliant. <laughs> right. Fuck off. And on Ryan Adams did um, the Carnegie Hall, mm-hmm. and it's him and a guitar, and I think there's a piano as well, and it's unbelievable. He does uh, 20 songs. The full album's got 20 songs twice over two nights, and halfway through the second night, somebody shouts out, Summer of 69! Yes. And he goes, well, it's funny you should say that because me and Brian talk about that a lot and he's got a great back catalogue and we love each other. And you're a fucking prick for trying to be a smart... He just really addresses it so succinctly. <laughs> the album, uh, Live at Carnegie Hall, I mean, I know he's not the nicest... He's a fucking prick in real life. I was going to say, has, he been, has, has, he, been, has he been properly cancelled now? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. He ha- yeah, and deservedly so. And I don't know if he can get yourself back into society by apologizing and rectifying you can i just don't think he's done it um and the music doesn't mean the same to me as it used to but i do allow myself to listen to it like it's not i can't connect to it on a heartfelt emotional way in the same way like the blue tones are one of my favorite bands of all times yeah and the guy is a fucking arsehole yeah well i yeah i didn't like i I, I text you um after i'd read that that night and That came, I mean, pardon the pun, but that came properly out of the blue for me. Uh, well, the, the I think... The singer of the Blue Tones. It, I think, I think we, I think it was known that he was a, a he was a, a party guy. 
as it were. Yeah. But um, if you're having multiple lives and gaslighting people. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. It's horrible, horrible stuff. For, like. Yeah. Like. I reckon there's. I, I read something from. It was the. It was Nikki, the lead singer of Lush. And uh, she was saying that um, this is. A, a lot of stuff's going to come out about the Britpop yeah. era now. Yeah. And there'll be a hell of a lot of folk shitting themselves because she remembers exactly what went on. I, I was like, it. oh. God almighty, this is going to be... I'm going to need to have yeah. a fucking bonfire in the back of my garden to burn all these CDs now. So. Yeah, and, and like, I, I would listen to the Blue Tones every single day, and I know it's pop music, but it's fucking so well written and the lyrics are very clever. But I've got, like, my password for everything is based on a Blue Tones song, so I've changed that and I've blocked them on Spotify because it would just come up on all the mixes, all the daily mixes so often. And I'll get, I'll let them back into my life at some point, but it'll never quite be the same. And yeah, like the whole art, you know, separating art from artist, I never really knew and would sort of argue, of course you can, until it really hit me. Yeah, yeah. Personally, and that's obviously nothing like what the victims have had to go through and will continue to go through. Mm-hmm. But in a pers- in my personal experience, it's like, all oh, right, fuck, yeah. I, I can't separate these things. Yeah. This is going to be really awkward when we get to your happy song, which is uh, Leader of the Gang by Gary Glitter. So. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yes, maybe. It's a funny podcast, isn't it? Right, here we go. <laughs> right, Walk On Music. So delighted you picked this. Freedom Fighters by The Music. Yeah, man. Holy fuck. Yes. Like, what am I going to walk on to? Like, a new library card. Nothing, right. But if I was a boxer, like, holy shit, the beat in this as it starts, oh. the attitude. Five boys from Leeds who fucking absolutely do not give a shit about anything. What And Freedom Fighters, the first album's brilliant. The second album's even better, to yeah. be honest. It's like the second coming. It's as good. It's fuck. And this particular song is attitude. It's just a pumping little anthem that would make me puff my chest out and yeah, pump yeah. me up. They are. I reckon I, I've always thought of them as being the probably one of the most underrated bands of ever ever in Britain. Yeah, actually. overlooked absolutely. Yeah, like because the, the, even the amount of people that I know pals of mine that are because like when you so you take like they're, they're doing the Barrowlands next year. Yeah, yeah. And, well, uh, we're going to go. Going, aren't we? We've got and, a date night. Yeah, we? yeah, and even like. When I was telling people, my pals I was like, I'm going to go see the music next year. And they didn't really know. They kind of, like, when I started reminding them of songs, they kind of, and I was like, how the fuck were they not? Because they were like, I always think they were like Kasabian before. <laughs> but you know how, like, you know, it's that kind of same I can see, yeah, mix like... of guitar and dance music that the Stone Roses did up to a point. Well, if you like the Stone Roses begging you, yeah, seven yeah exactly, two, yeah. It's exactly that. Yeah. It really is. Um, but it all went wrong because they, I mean, there were five lads from Leeds, so they were on it. And I think there was some uh, chemical misadventures that mm-hmm. led into, I think, I can't remember the, the singer's name, but I think he, he had real mental health problems. Um, and yeah, I think I think they, they were cut down in their own prime 
because yeah. you had to take time out. But yeah, like I, I saw saw one song of theirs. I was at a gig in Melbourne, and it was uh, Ben Queller. No, sorry, it was Ben Lee, the Fratellis, and the music. And I had to leave. The person I was with had to go. Uh, so I saw one song there, and I've missed them elsewhere. But they're doing this one show in the Barlands before they do these big homecoming gigs in Leeds yeah. next year. And yeah. I'm fucking delighted, and I can't wait. It's going to be great to go with you as well, uh, man. Like, I'm I really love... into it. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I can't wait. I love the fact that... I love the fact that, 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 that they're thinking, right, well, one gig, one gig before we do these massive homecoming. I love the fact that people pick Barlands all the time. <laughs> like, I fucking love the fact that throughout the entire world, Barlands is considered the best venue. So when you were, like we said earlier, about going to Pie in the Sky in like Glasgow with mm-hmm. five pounds in our pocket, like I was an hour away down in the West Coast, you just didn't have that experience? Well, no, because, um, I, I mean, I, I came up, um, I remember, but for me it was mostly SECC. Um, mm. So I remember coming I remember coming up to see Ocean Colour Scene at the SECC, and then it was only when I got to uni that I went to the Barlands first. And, right. uh, I mean, the minute, like anyone that anyone that's listening that has been to the Barlands will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and if you haven't been, you need to see a gig because it's just a pit. It's it's it, it's so designed for bands. It, it's just incredible. It, the, the floor bounces, the ceiling sweats. It's just <laughs> it's it's wonderful. So yeah, yeah I mean, I saw one of the first ones I saw was Idlewild. At, wow. Uh, yeah, I saw Idlewild because my 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 pal from. Back home, he was a huge fan of Idlewild as well, so we went to see them. And then the first, the first gig I ever took my brother to when he first came up in Glasgow. This was a year before he came up to study here as well. I took him out, and we went to see Embrace at the Barrowlands. <laughs> and then that was like it's a not, pro- It was like a proper kind of cool thing because I could see his kind of sense of wonderment just walking right, into the place right. and going, "Fucking hell, this is." Because coming from Dumfries, we didn't have any concert venue like that. So it, it was just like, fucking, this is amazing. Totally. Like, I was 14 uh, and I went to see Terrorvision. Uh, and it was just when their second album came out. And the ticket's still in my wall over there. And yeah, like, like there's a, you go walk in, you go up the, the, the stairs, and then there's like a burger stand. Mm-hmm. And then the merch stands, and everyone's pissed, or are you know carrying past plastic pints, and you get in, and there's what twelve hundred people? I don't know how yeah. big it is. That's pretty, it's about that, yeah, yeah, yeah. A sea of folk who are there for the exact same reason you are, and yeah. because we grew up, like I grew up an hour outside of Glasgow, and every band would say, "Oh, these Glasgow crowds, these Scottish crowds, there's nothing like you." Mm-hmm. And we were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." You say that in London, you say that everywhere you go. I fucking don't. Have you been to a gig in England? Oh, it's shit. utter shite. Holy, oh, like, God. It's not, that's not Scottish rhetoric. It's yeah. fucking pish. Manchester and Bristol are the exceptions. Yeah. But everyone else is like, oh, when are they, they going to play this song? Oh, yeah. Go? Fuck off. We're up from it from the very start. And the bands fucking mean it when they say there's a great audience in Scotland. And it's not just the bar. It's King Tut's, the old yeah. academy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic Grand. We, Edinburgh um, obviously doesn't have any venues because <laughs> fucking they built flats on top of them and they complain about the noise. Yeah, pricks. I remember the first the first festival I went to outside of outside of Scotland because I'd been to a few. I'd been to every team in the park and then I'd been to a, another couple of smaller ones. And me and my pal went to the V Festival in nineteen ninety. In 
Leeds. In Leeds? Was it Leeds? I don't even know if Leeds were. I don't even. I don't think it was a double. Was this Reading by then? Okay. Because I think it was Chelmsford. Chelmsford. Yeah. yeah. And the staggering difference between the crowds was just like you were kind of like going. The headliners are on. Why the fuck? Why why aren't there fights breaking out for a start? <laughs> why aren't why is the why is the why is the campsite this clean? Why is no one <laughs> why is no one taking a shit on top of fucking Portaloo? It's like you're kinda of going, What the fuck is wrong with you people? You're at a festival for Christ's sake. Yeah. Do, uh, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe we're when we go for a night out, we've we're spending our money and we are taking our chances and and it's a party. Uh, it's not a, nobody's standing at the back scre- judging you know the band that well that's not entirely true but there's uh, the bar is you, you can very rarely beat the bar is for, uh, for a gig ah it's superb best song from a film bell bottoms man this is a bit of a punt because um I, there's obviously loads of choices but have mm-hmm. you seen the film baby driver yeah so this is john spencer blues explosion from film yeah it's uh, fucking i love baby Driver. i think it's a fucking great film i watched it back when you first asked me to the the playlist mm-hmm. this came into my head and i watched it back and the first 15 minutes are fucking great yeah and then it, i think the film falls away a wee bit after that but when he it, egg wright knows his music inside out the director, and as he's filmed this, uh, wait, wait, oh, oh, fuck, what's the uh, when, when he walks down the street and all the graphics, the graffiti on the wall matches the lyrics of the song, and he's yeah. dancing away with everything that's beautiful. And then when they do the, the original bank heist, and this mm-hmm. is the getaway music, it is literal choreography, and it's so beautifully done, it's so cleverly done, yeah. And for a song, like he could have picked. You know, any obviously he could have picked any song, but he could have picked a well-known song. But he went for one that he knows and wanted to represent, mm-hmm. and just those five minutes. If you've never seen the film, it's worth watching just the five minutes to see it because it's oh, it's an outstanding it's so opening well sequence. Done. It really is, and um, it's. It, I mean, you could you could tell when he was making the film that he wanted to include music because the way they the way they introduce it is the fact that the guys. Isn't spoiling anything, but the getaway driver for the heist uh, <laughs> squad. Yeah, squad, you know, of, team, squad, qu- squad of heisters. Gang. A collective name for heist people. <laughs> um, sexy fuckers. The guy, <laughs> the guy out of uh, Mad Men. Um, oh yeah. But like John Ham. Hu- I but he's hung over and ten years older. Mm-hmm. Oh, fucking, he's well sexy. <laughs> and Kevin Spacey as well. He's a mastermind oh, behind it all. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. Well, that's, that's like I watched a, a film with Kevin Spacey the other day, and I was like, "Oh fuck, am I not allowed to watch this film now?" But do you remember? Yeah. Just a, a slight detour. Do you remember? It's around about this time, the past couple of years, where Kevin Spacey released this bizarre fucking video. Which one? Do you remember? No. So, so he was put. So he's basically. So after after all the allegations came out, and then after he'd been sacked, after the facts came yeah, out. Yeah, after the facts came out. <laughs> And after come and been, get me, Spacey. After he'd he been did sacked it. and replaced by Christopher Plummer, uh, he uh, the Christmas after he had this weird, weird video 
where he played um, Frank Underwood from House uh, of Cards. Yeah, and he he was he was almost he was he was standing and he was taking a turkey out of the oven or something like that, and he was like carving it, and he's kind of he's kind of talking about how everyone that's dissed him will fucking get their kind of weapons, but he's doing it in the character as well. And you're kind of going, this is, this is a weird... That's bold, that's so doubling weird. down. Exactly. It? Like, <laughs> And then he did it the next year as well. So it really? became... It, I mean, it became did, a Christmas tradition in my family. Like, we'd all sit down and watch the, the latest Spacey they, release. <laughs> did they splice in bits from American Beauty when he's wanking in the shower? Oh, God, yeah. God, oh. I, mean, I mean, the signs were there. I mean, uh, Usual Suspects is a fantastic film, and he's fantastic in it. Mm-hmm. House of Cards first series and a half fantastic great character but no fuck me what a prick yeah fucking yeah yeah and seven as well seven of course yeah that's yeah. uh yeah what, what now we know it was in the box at the end small, small boy's arse oh dude <laughs> <laughs> oh mark <laughs> right song that makes you happy Oh man, this is sort of how I'm feeling right now because um, I was uh, long day at work, and very much like man, we came home and had a like a double gin, and it went straight to my head. It was nice and rosy, and now I've got like my, my a beer on the go, and this song it's uh, just when you're thinking things over by the Charlatans. two and a half pints and you know there's a third coming and it's like sunrise and the chords are just nice and warm and the organ comes in it's a big hug and i mean the charlatans again one of my favorite bands um i saw them at nebworth went to when i was 16 went down to nebworth to see oasis mm-hmm. and it was the first gig back after rob had died yeah and my mates were like let's go and get a burger i was like let's fucking watch the charlatans it's like there's a 125,000 people here will never meet up again. You've got to come with us. So I walked backwards through the crowd as they played what is the Telling Stories album. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, that's when that came out. And yeah, the, the, since then, like, absolute favourite band. And I, was, I went to go and see them in um, uh, Straven. Tim Burgess and uh, Douglas T. Stewart and the Pearl Fishers were playing. And it's this this guy in I don't know his name Fret's concerts it's called. He's gone to the Straven Hotel and said, "Look, we're nice folk. Can we get the ballroom? Can we get the you know where they would normally put a wedding on once a month or whatever?" And he books incredible artists. Like we're going to see Bernard Butler in January. Wow. Yeah, and he's had on uh, James Grant in the past, and it's a lovely venue. Everyone's sitting down. Nobody talks during the gig. Uh, so Timber just came up and did an acoustic set and it was half his stuff and half Charlotte's stuff and what's his name um, Mark the guitarist was yeah, up Mark playing Collins, as well yeah. and all the, the Pearl Fishers and Douglas they all collaborated on different stuff and they played this acoustic version of Just When You're Thinking Things Over and everyone stood up and was singing along and I realised I haven't a fucking clue what the lyrics are or what they mean <laughs> Like everyone else was singing along, and I'm like, oh, vows, some of the vows. Yeah. But the feeling of the song, 
Oh, and I, again, I sort of, I sort of don't want to go and learn the lyrics now. I just know what it makes me feel like. Yeah, that album, that Charlatan's self-titled album, is pretty much flawless. Ah, it's so good. It's so good. I mean, like, I love it. I love the Charlatans so mm. much. Uh, I think they're phenomenal, and that the the the. It shows how good a band the Charlatans are by the sheer longevity that they mm. have had because they were pre Britpop, mm. um, and then and then they they went they were huge during Britpop, but the the standard of the albums from then on after it have kept up and pretty consistently yeah and considering like I I, I can't, very very few bands will have gone through as much heartache. Mm. As the Charlottes have gone through, um, mm. I mean, even before Rob Collins died, so Rob Collins died in a car crash when they were recording in Monmouth, yeah, on the way back in from Wales, the pub, on the back way back. The yeah. But even like the year before that, he had been he'd been arrested for armed robbery. Yeah, he was a getaway driver. Like yeah, and uh, so then they go, they went through that and like the loss of one of their me one of their members, and then and brother. Yeah, and even recently, like, well, not recently, but the, their drummer, uh, John Brooks, he collapsed on stage as well when oh, they were on an American stage. tour, uh, and then it found out he had a brain tumour. Yeah. And so it's just to keep going after that. It's like when, when, you look at, when you look at bands that have split up through fairly petty fucking reasons, <laughs> you know what I mean? You realise that, they, that, that there must be a core love for each other and for the band to just and, even uh, keep going after that. Totally. And genuinely for the music as well. Like mm-hmm. I think there's a common thread that runs throughout. Um it's certainly changed from sort of the, the Manchester baggy Hammond organ. It's yeah. it has matured, as every band does and should. Um but there's a there's a there's a feeling there's a what's that like a core genuine goodness to it it's about happiness it's not happy clappy but it's it's about there's very few dark songs yeah Although yeah that album's got impossible on it it's fucking great yeah did you um did you listen to many of tim burgess's listening parties during the lockdown you know what they're fucking nailed on for me and mm-hmm. I've only done maybe two live and then th- two or three on catch-up. When they first started, I would flick through them in the morning afterwards without the album on. Yeah. But you would think, I mean, it's you would think I'd have done more, but I don't know why I've not. The best one I did was Idlewild's remote part. Oh, um, cool, yeah. It was 35 minutes long. It was so frantic. Um, I did one, what was that one I did? I did one, like, it was like Queen or some somebody fucking massive. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nevermind one with Butch Vig was really good. Yeah, but like that was such a genuine organic thing that came from Tim's. Like, oh, let's get together and do this, and now he's done over a thousand of yeah. them. And yeah, I loved it. I mean, it was it was probably one of those things that at the start of the lockdown, and it it just, it just came it came and it came from nothing. And I remember, I think the first one I did was I think it was Park Life, and mm-hmm. they had Dave Roundtree on, mm-hmm. and then they did Be Here Now, and then. Mm-hmm. Bonehead on, and uh, mm. it was a it was such a good thing to do. Just sit and have a beer, listen to the album in the background, and then just it was literally just scrolling through Twitter with people with it, because it's Twitter. Like you can, there was a t- chance that you could talk to Bonehead exactly, or whoever yeah. was right there, and like Idlewild liked one of my tweets. I was like, yeah, oh my God, 
mad. Yeah. Um, and it was, but the same with other fans as well. People were putting up photos. Like I was at that gig. Mm-hmm. My brother did one, and it was the wedding present. And he was like, "That's the back of my head." Oh, hello. <laughs> From somebody he's never fucking met, never will meet. Yeah. Um, but just like these instant little communities, and I don't know why. I mean, it's very rarely I'll sit and listen to an album like all the way through, and like I would do it. Like I obviously walk in the streets, I'll have music on in my headphones, but like on a train journey, I would sit and listen to music all the way through. But I haven't fucking been anywhere for yeah, you know. So that would be, be perfect for a train journey. Yeah, it? it became massive. I mean, like like huge, like, like fucking. McCartney did it when he was releasing <laughs> yeah, his new that album. Was, that was how it. That yeah. So it became like it became from, from just being for music fans. It became such a huge promotional thing as well because mm. they go there's a hell of a lot of people tuning into this every single but, night. So, and Tim Burgess turned down money time and again to mm-hmm. sponsor it, do mm-hmm. anything, and the guy. So you can go onto the website and re uh redo any of these listening parties in real time because some guy on twitter worked out how to do it and said tim let's do these replay things oh cool and it's, you know like 20 lines of code it's not that hard but he did it for free and he's given it away oh, and now wow. they're doing gigs for charity they're doing the jigsaws and like i bought a little lapel badge sort of thing because it was for the his gorilla music project to mm-hmm. you know help live music in manchester and it's is yeah what a, what a lovely thing to have come out of it yeah and yeah well um that was a, a very iconic thing of lockdown but we were also involved in a very iconic thing of lockdown because we did mm. the, and we can't we can't not speak about it with the the stand live streams because i had had richard on and he was coming Who? out of uh, richard melvin <laughs> your your boss <laughs> oh. uh so <laughs> Uh, he came. He was coming at it from a completely because because he, he he's always he always thinks things will be a success anyway. What when we were first doing them? What were your kind of thoughts? Well, I mean, I I, I, I haven't listened to the podcast that Richard was on because fucking Ellie talks a lot, yes. and I mean that was you know like I, that's a joke, but um, <laughs> I, so I don't know the story he's told, so I won't go into it. But basically, we were sat in a room going, "What can we do?" And it was Julia Sutherland that came up with the idea. Yeah. And we all went, I thought of that 30 seconds ago, but we didn't say it. Oh, fuck. We're in the room. So it became this mass idea. And because you'd been doing uh, the radio shows, probably about six series at that mm-hmm. point of Good, the Bad, the Unexpected, um, you were the natural choice. I mean, you're fucking great at that and your topicalness. So I got all of our kit and fucking two extra cables and some blue tack and stuck it all together to see if it would work and the first one did way better than we thought mm-hmm. the first one was i think the saturday before official lockdown and then the second one was in lockdown so the first one was in the club and we were all you know keeping our distance and doing it um as safely as we could and then the second one was when it really kicked in it was me and you in a flat yeah you in the corner and it all worked technically and fucking hell that one exploded and it, yeah. you know, the figures were incredible and we i don't know how you felt but i, I was so lucky to do it because it got me it was a challenge it got me out of the house once a week i was talking to loads of people on email and mm-hmm. phone and whatever for, for comedians to send in their recorded sets so it was all a big challenge all a big whirlwind and it kept going so i was in the middle of this bubble and COVID, the, the pandemic, the lockdown, 
like it obviously it was daunting and terrifying but nothing like it, it didn't hit me in the same way that hit millions of others yeah so it was super lucky and then it was and it was a good six months later until my idiot brain sort of realized that we'd built a little community of mm. folk who would comment on youtube and on twitter and you know they would send in the heckles and they knew each other and they were contacting each other independently and people were sending messages like this is the only thing in the week that we have to see yeah. at half past eight because it was live and that was it fuck you if you didn't see it and i just, <laughs> just i think i think i lack the amount of empathy to understand how important it was to some people yeah i know i mean i'd, I'd feel incredibly privileged to have done it and oh, like God, yeah. But even even like I did a gig in Irvine a couple of weeks ago, and even there, people were coming up and going. Just wanted to say thanks so much for the. And you kind of want to say, well, like almost thank you because it's not. If if, if people hadn't watched, then there's no way it would have continued. So it was that we needed that kind of that community, and you became, you became like a a, a celebrity. I absolutely did not. You did said, because I... you had. It was. It was. It was the. It you was, became known as Tiesto because yeah, you'd fucked was, up. And it was the second. It was the second or third week, and somebody. So Richard was in the other room uh-huh. on an iPad, going through Twitter and pulling out messages and giving them to you, and somebody had called called me Tiesto, and I it just didn't register the first week it happened, uh-huh. and then I sort of it, it turned out because there was a GoPro behind me. And we would cut to that, and then I would cue you by putting my hand in the mm-hmm. ear and throwing it forward. And when people started sending gifts of Tiesto with his hands in the air, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, right, fucking hell. <laughs> but no, like, absolutely, like, I, I said at the beginning of this fucking recording, of, like, I, I've had my time in the, in, the, in the limelight on XFM, and that was fucking massively underwhelming and shit. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm way better behind the scenes and edited. So... I think the level of folk taking the piss out of me on Twitter for an hour and a half every week I can cope with. <laughs> but, you know, I, fucking who, why would you want to be famous? I just don't get it. I want to be recognised for being good, but fuck being famous. Sorry yeah. to piss all over your career aspirations there, Mark. No, no, I, don't, I, don't have those, I don't have those aspirations at all anymore. Well, uh, fucking tell you what, right? If fucking have I got news for you, can screen grab a tweet of yours and put that on and get laughs out of it. They need to fucking book you because you'd be fucking great at it. Well, listen, let's not, let's let's not let's not let's not get me starting ranting about the, <laughs> about the state of this industry. So. Well, fucking every Saturday for a year, I saw you rant and. Oh God, yeah. Some of them were yeah. fucking genuinely iconic. The the, the rate that you can uh can write at and even on twitter like it it was interesting seeing how your comic mind works because you would put stuff out on twitter all day uh, all week and then you would condense that down onto a rant on the live show yeah or or you do it the other way around and uh now without the live show every week you're just like politically active yeah politics background haven't you yeah well i did it i did it at uni because and then have anything else to do? Because um, you're a big it. fan of D Ream. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the way, uh, yeah. When you when you talk about uh, your brother and his Lemonheads albums getting you into your career, 
it mm. was very much the ream and the the promise of Tony Blair's government. <laughs> God, thank God it wasn't right said Fred. Jesus Christ, <laughs> gone a different direction. Right, a song that makes you sad now. Oh fucking hell! All of the, them. <laughs> the the ship song by Camille O'Sullivan. Come sail your ships around me and burn your bridges down. We make a little. History. Yeah, um, it's a cover. Yes, it's a Nick. It's a dear listener. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. You're wrong. Nick Cave so fans are so correct and, and fanatic that that um he's the guy he writes very intelligently and very heartfelt and ghostine his latest album's fantastic and some of his other stuff really speaks to me but this uh, ship song i'm 99 sure he wrote it i saw camilo sullivan I used to do work with the pleasance in the festival and she was in the Ple- pleasance have got this massive venue 700 seats They've got to fill five times a day for 30 days. That's a fuckload of tickets to get rid of. And they do normally do really well, and they book Camille O'Sullivan, and I was at sound check for one reason or another. And she sang this, and the fucking world stopped. Like, she has lived this. She owns this song now. It's so personal. As she gets into the chorus and her voice breaks, oh, man. I hope it's not intentional. What you like? Maybe she's playing me, or maybe she's just fucking singing it like it's hers. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, <laughs> as I said, like all the Metallica songs and all the s- sad songs I've been into. This is not like the sad song in my life. I'm not fucking giving that up. Mm-hmm. Fuck yous, all of yous. But this, so this isn't personally sad to me, mm-hmm. but the insight that she gives and the emotion that she gives out in her performance. Like, obviously, in the podcast, you're only going to be allowed to hear five, five, ten seconds of it. But go and find it. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. <sighs> it's amazing. Oh, it's a life lived. Like, it reminds me of um, fucking, what's her name? Ida from um, Brighton Rock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, what, it fucking reminds me of Dolores film? from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> like a big, like a woman who has had a tragic life, uh, but is still bold as brass and defiant. There's a defiance right. to that okay. song. Yeah. Oh. Who, in, who, in, who Framed Roger Rabbit? Dolores, the, the, the woman who owns the bar. Oh, shit, um, yeah. Oh, the one, that, the one that's, yeah, the one that's going out with Bob Hoskins. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. you know had a the character is a tragic life, but there's yeah. a defiance and a strength in it. Yeah, and like I can still picture uh, Camila Sullivan on stage stamping her feet as she sings this. And if you've never heard the song before, listen to Nick Cave and this back to back and fucking tell you who wins. No, 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 definitely. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I did because Nick Nick Cave's one of the most popular chosen artists on this podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, surprisingly. Um, oh, he's great, and Ghostine's fantastic. And when he played the Ali Pali, like I paid my money and bought mm-hmm. that, and um, I fucking missed it live because we were doing the stand shows on a Saturday night. <laughs> but um, it was eventually put out as an album, and it's great. And some some of my friends' favourite songs are Nick Cave songs, and I'm going to try and go and see him come March. Mm-hmm. But that's when you ask what my when you ask what the saddest song was or a song yeah. that makes me sad. 
fuck me, it's this. Yeah, that's great. Right, song that reminds you of a friend or family member. First Big Weekend by Arab Strap. There was only one car going, so someone had to get the train. We got through quite late. And we went to a pub to take the gear. There was no problems getting in. We saw the lovers waiting in the front of the queue, so we skipped in. It was a good night. Everyone was nutty and I ended up dancing with some blonde girl. I thought she had been quite pretty until last night. When my- I'll be- pull up a musical technicality on you. Mm-hmm. First Big Weekend... 2016. Ah, so the re-release. Ah, the remix. It was the 20th oh, anniversary. Ah. Yeah. Um, uh, Meow Meow remixed it, and I, my, like I say, my brother, he was into grunge and <clears throat> Grebo and all that sort of stuff, and then he progressed into Bell and Sebastian and Arab Strap and all that, and I thought it was fucking pish. I just didn't get it. <laughs> I just didn't get all those feigned bollocks. Mm-hmm. And, um, I never, a sort of knee-jerk, didn't like them because of that. And then my mate, his, my mate was neighbours with Malky, uh, Malcolm Middleton. Mm-hmm. And then my brother took me to go and see Malcolm Middleton at the Classic Grand during the fucking Brighter Beat album. Mm-hmm. And it was brilliant. I was a bit pissed, but it was a brilliant gig. So I got into Malky, and then I've got into sort of Arab Strap laterally. Um, although to be... They still don't fucking really float my boat that much. Uh, the new album, uh, As Days Get Darker, have mm-hmm. you heard it? No. Oh, it's the best thing they've ever done by a country mile. It's phenomenally good. But, you know, your mate who's a fucking prick, but he's your mate. Yeah. That's who this song reminds me of. I've got a mate who has burnt his bridges several times on with everybody. <laughs> But there's something about it. We're sort of drawn together. We're the pricks. We're the guys who go out and have far too many drinks and then ruin gigs for other people. Yeah. Like, we have had quite a few, not lost weekends, but fucking return to sender weekends. Yeah. Um, And the narrative of this song is exactly how we used to go out when we were younger. Big weekends. Yeah. First big weekend of the summer. Fucking Absolutely. Absolutely, I love it. Like, I love the story in it. Like, because it is so. Again, I don't know if it's a Scottish thing, but it's. It is. It's like, so quintally, quintessentially Scottish. Oh, like, I remember. Scottish, but I remember fucking... nights. I remember weekends like this in yeah. Glasgow. Like it was. It, it, the 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 small details are just incredible. The, the fact that he doesn't sleep until Monday. They go into the arches and then the. No. Trying to keep other people up, drinking other people's wine, waiting yeah. till ten o'clock in the morning so you can go and buy more booze. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, like in the middle of it, like, oh, we we intended to watch the football, but fell asleep and woke up to find that England had won two 0 That's Euro ninety six. Yes. No, that's 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 what I was going to ask you. Yeah, that's 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 that day in Euro ninety six would be Scotland. Yeah. I was on the tills in Presto because it was June fifteenth, which was my brother's birthday, and he p- requested it off. You know, in fucking February, he requested it off. It's my birthday. He's getting it off, and everyone else, we're all sixteen-year-olds working in the local supermarket, had to work. So we're getting updates like McCoist has missed a penalty. You know, like oh, somebody scored. Like it was, oh, we missed it, so we didn't see it. I picked you up in a ten. I picked you up in a technical there. It was because it was McAllister. <laughs> but we were getting told. Oh, you McCoy's were getting told McCoist had missed it because it's fucking old boys coming in to ah, buy fags see, from the kiosk. Sorry, ah. But, well, yeah. they were wrong, because that fucking shite bag, Craig Brown, wouldn't pick McCoist until the Switzerland game. 
Really? Yep. Um, wow. But yeah, even like the the, the, my, the two things I love about this song, I love the the mention that they sat and watched an episode of The Simpsons, mm. and then talk about it. It was quite a, it was quite a nice one because it was about relationships and how uh, relationships always end badly, apart from Marge and Homer. And then there's another. What I love about it as well is once the dance beat kicks in, mm-hmm. it gets increasingly more and more difficult to hear what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm assuming it's intentional, but that 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 kind of idea that that's exactly what it's like as night outs Actually, go on. Lost in the night, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like by, by the end of it, you're oh. you're really. I mean, I, I could feel myself in the car listening to it, really straining to hear what he was saying. Oh, it, it, in the original. Yeah. I wonder because in the remix, it's. I, I wouldn't say I get that experience. Ah, in, in the right. 2016, that's interesting. So then. That, that is very interesting. Ah, but. I like the I like the, the remix because I don't know it's it's there's more structure to it. I think mm-hmm. there's more a constant beat and it's like going down the arches. I didn't go to the arches that many times, but when I did, I had a fucking great time. Oh yeah, I went, I went to the arches to go and see Calvin Harris play live. Wow! And he pl- he played. It was him and two guys, and oh, what a night out! And whatever. Whatever, it's, this isn't like Calvin Harris in Vegas. This is Calvin <laughs> Harris when he's trying to get fucking signed. Was this uh, acceptable in the 80s, Calvin Harris? Yeah. 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 Um, banging. Absolutely banging night out. But, uh, I've got a half-remembered story about how he was a prick to his touring band, but I can't tell you any details, so I'm going to abandon it. Well, his touring band, uh, I knew one of the guys in it. All right. Because he comes from Dumfries. I used to go out with uh, one of the guy's sisters. And was he a um, prick to his... He was a prick. There you go. He was a prick. Yep. Hope you're listening to this, Calvin. One of the one of the most successful people in Scotland, one of the mm-hmm. most successful music artists of the last, what, 10 years? Mm-hmm. Shite music, though. Yeah, it is. I think... Like, like, right, fucking, here's... I fucking think Bits and Pieces is shit. <gasps> I don't like it. I do like it. I really do like it. Uh, but I think Calvin Harris Calvin Harris was the reason Tina Park kind of ended I think because when he became massive they insisted on this Saturday night so they'd have a headliner on Saturday night and then they'd have a dance act after it right? and it was always Calvin Harris <laughs> every fucking year it was Calvin fucking Harris and then there was that bizarre year where Will Smith introduced yeah. him on stage but that that brought because it was always there was always a Ned element to Tina Park of course but yeah. that brought every fucking net like it was literally like it was like a a sea of neds just piling up from the central I, belt nah we're fucking middle-aged guys who remember it differently we, like my the first scene of park i went to was in 20 no it wasn't it was 1994 95 mm-hmm. the first one was 94 my mate yeah. told me rage against the machine were playing in glasgow yeah. i went no they're fucking not turns out um so i went in the second year and it was Britpop and it was ash and alaska and yeah. supergrass and claimers and... wow was it kylie yeah didn't see only went the saturday it was something like 12 pound 50 might have been 25 quid yeah. <laughs> drinking didn't cross my mind because we were seeing so many bands we couldn't believe our luck and then went to every china park until 
<laughs> I remember, like, I remember seeing folk going backstage at Tina Park, going, fucking, why are you going backstage? So much music, so much music. It took me about 10 years to become one of those wankers who just stayed backstage all the time. Yeah. Because <laughs> they've got a cash bar and, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, it's only fucking Maloko. Oh, can't be arsed. <laughs> what a fucking prick. <laughs> but, yeah, Tina Park, like, again, we're talking about gigs in glasgow being the best ever tina park was the best festival glasgow is fantastic but tina park yeah and i think it changed when folk started going for a night out rather than for the music and there was always drinking there was always drugs but folk went in order to take drugs and there happened to be music on and i don't know when that change was but and then the lineup sort of became a bit samey. They ran out of bands. You know how many times did the Foo Fighters and Coldplay play? Well, see, that's the. I remember listening to because I love I love festivals. Like I think music festivals are. I remember I remember sitting at Tina Park um, one afternoon. It was quite sunny, and uh, we were going to go and see Fat Boy Slim in the mm. the Tuts tent, and I was just sitting outside with two of my pals and drinking a beer. And looking around and going, this is the best place in the world. <laughs> like, I, fucking, <laughs> I would, I would happily stay here for the rest of my life. I love the fact that you were sitting there going, just when you're thinking things over, <laughs> like that is exactly how that makes me feel. That yeah. is that feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the hell was my point? I think you'd finished. Oh well. <laughs> the point is, music festivals are fucking class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Rockness was never quite the same. And Glastonbury's a completely different beast. And yes. I've been to other festivals, but Tina Park. Yeah, from, well, 90, I probably missed a couple in the middle, but yeah. Uh, I went to the last, the second last Tina Park, and it was kids on ketamine with bottles of wine in their hand. Aye. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Karaoke song. Love oh, this. Love this. I could be so good for you, Dennis Waterman. Karaoke in Scotland is standing at the front of a shit pub making a tit out of yourself or not realizing you're making a tit out yourself so obviously hated it the the attention but when i was um i was in sydney and my flatmate ran a korean karaoke bar in the sort of chinatown area and every saturday he was desperate to get folk in so we would all go down and get cheap booze and sing away so all my korean mates would sing in language, I fucking haven't a clue what they were doing, but they were so into it, taking it so seriously, and having the time of their life. And of course, the sort of directory with all the songs is only about five songs in English. And mm-hmm. That out of hell. Um, Katie Tongso was on there for some reason. Uh, the Police. And then it was 500 Miles by Peter, Paul and Mary. Right. Which is this sort of sad drone, brilliant song. And don't look back in anger. Right. So I would sing Don't Look Back in Anger in five hundred miles and like they would interrupt me singing five hundred miles sing sing the other one. <laughs> and then came back to the UK and Electric Circus in um on Market Street in Edinburgh. It's not there anymore because the fucking fruit market gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a nightclub and it had private 
karaoke room, so it was just you and your pals. And we all went, and I was flicking through. And this song, I could be so good for you. If, even if you don't know it, it's the kind of old-timey piano song like Paul yeah. McCartney never shuts the fuck up about. And if you don't know it, you love it. And if you do know it, you join in. And it's the kind of song you can just have a bit of swagger to. Aye. I'm gonna tell ya! Yeah. I oh, dig fucking it. brilliant. Because I, I thought you were gonna say, when you were talking about like a, a Korean karaoke bar in Sydney, and you were going around, I thought one of the other, and the only other song was I Could Be So Good For You by Dennis Waterman. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck would they have? Because so it's a theme, the theme tune reminder. Yeah. Which is, so good. Like, I, I love it. I love it. Did you ever watch Minder? No, never did. Like, see, I, I remember it. I remember my dad watching it. and I've, I've, a, But I never watched fucking Tagger either. Just Did you not? No, not really, no. I never really watched the Rebus, Rebus remakes. Uh, you know, No, just, tell, just didn't watch that kind of telly. I was waiting that, for fucking Eurotrash to come on. I loved, I loved 80s TV. And I loved, I loved this kind of shit. Two reasons I lo- I've tried to watch Minder again. And it's... It is a weird show. Like, how the fuck they wrung so many series out of that is incredible. And and also, like, this isn't the amazing thing about... I follow this Twitter account, right, that is... Um, it, it's basically footballers in the in the 70s and 80s. And then the way they look... They look like a bag of shite, right? And then it reveals <laughs> their actual age and it turns out they're like 22. And you go, how the God. fuck is that? How the fuck is that bald guy with a beard 22? And <laughs> this was very... I remember seeing a picture of um, Dennis Waterman and... Uh, what was his name he played? Uh, Arthur Daly was Arthur the character. Daly. Uh, uh, something, George something, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, and it showed you them and it showed you their actual ages and you go, I'm fucking older than that now. Like, yeah. how the fuck... Like, and that's what I loved. I loved about it, and I loved the fact that the main stars of TV shows would sing the theme tune. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. <laughs> it just doesn't happen anymore. No, Neighbours had its had its uh, highlight. Well, it wasn't even the theme song. They went on to do their own thing. Well, uh, well, Will Smith does it in his films. Well, that's true. Fresh Prince. That's true. They're remaking the Fresh Prince. Never. Gonna I know, watch it. but it's a it's a serious drama. Fuck off. Yeah, it's not Tell comedy. You what, it wasn't much of a comedy to start with, but uh, the Fresh Prince, the original one, actually dealt with real issues. It did. Um, it was a real, um, not talisman, but it was a, it was a like it was something for people to aspire to. Mm-hmm. Um, and the theme tune was fucking wicked. Oh, the theme tune's amazing. There's always those because um, as much as I slag it off, I quite like Buzzfeed. I like the I like I like the <laughs> I like the lists. I hate I hate the fucking questionnaires in Buzzfeed where they find out. Like tell us, make up a a, a five course meal and we'll tell you which star sign you are. Fucking shit, I hate that. But I love when it when you've got like there's certain things I'm drawn to as the top ten list, and that there's always like the top ten scariest moments in any Disney film and all that kind of shit. I love that kind of stuff. It's amazing you get any work done. I know. Do your kids eat? (laughs) (laughs) But there's there's one that the ones that come up all the time is like um, top traumatic moments from childhood TV shows and there's an episode of The Fresh Prince where uh, Wilder's dad has turned up after like fucking years mm. and then like borrows money off him and says they're going to do all this shit going to do all this shit and then he skips town again and mm. it's him uh, talking to the uncle and he, uncle he's trying yeah he's trying to like 
he's trying to brave it up and try and be a man about it. And then eventually he kind of breaks down and he's just like crying on his shoulder going, why does he want me, man? Why doesn't he want me? And I'm like, that's always in it. And I always watch it straight afterwards. I used to love the Fresh Prince. Yeah. And tell you what, Scrubs is incredibly well mm. written and almost half the time ends on a downer. Yeah. And it's it's not maybe the same uh, moral message, but it's got it's a fucking anti-comedy at times. It's wonderful. That's very and true. fucking stupid as well. Yeah, that's true. Cover song. I'm gonna tell ya. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I, I genuinely quite like to do that at karaoke, Alex. My my alternative for the karaoke song was Ebenezer Good, but oh. no matter how much I practice, I still can't get the second court verse. Yeah, that's, it just too fast. Aye, that's tough. That's tough. And it's the kind of song you do at karaoke and folk go, "Yeah, prick." Right, best cover song. Mm. Uh, Alabama 3's version of Speed of the Sound of Loneliness. Great album, excellent Cole Harder Lane. It's the album that the Sopranos theme ch- tunes on, and this is just a great song. Uh, and I put it on. Well, uh, Roddy Wumble covered it in his one of his live solo acoustic albums, and I put it on. And my dad was like, "Oh, that's a Nancy Griffith song." I was like, "Who the fuck's Nancy Griffith?" So I went back and found out loads about that. Then discovered that John Prine had written it. Like, oh, fucking hell! And then to the point where. Evan Dandel from the Lemonheads covered it on his new covers album. and So that's really encompassed three of my favourite artists and I've learned more about it. It's just a great song. It's amazing you get the, you get those songs that are just coverable. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, to have that many people have a bash at covering it yeah, is quite well, surprising. I think Yesterday's the most covered song of all time. Yeah. And then it's fucking Wonderwall in pubs. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know what it is about this particular song. Um, you, you come home late and you'll come home early. Uh, I don't know. It it just makes me feel nice. Uh, I think the Alabama Three version. I think they're a great band. I think they're completely fucked up as people. Yeah. But um, I think they're great fun and really inventive. And then sort of the reveal. A good again. This is what this is a student radio song. This is like ninety eight. So a good, easily ten fifteen years later to find out that it was a cover and then who had covered it uh, was yeah just a wonderful little reveal of music. A nice sweet Easter egg or something. Live song, best song you've seen live. Voodoo people, but <laughs> so this is the Pendulum remix mm. of the Prodigy. Yeah, this could have been one of a thousand songs, um, but I was trying to look cool. So um, <laughs> I was at a festival in, I'm going to say Melbourne, and it was the big. It's called the Big Day Out, and it's got two stages. It's got two main stages right beside each other. So the worst thing about going to a festival is going to see a band, and then you've got like 45 minutes until anything else happens. Yeah. At this thing, it's like five minutes later. You turn your head, 
and it's another band playing. So I saw uh, Pendulum, Arctic Monkeys, Neil Young, and, wow. the, and then The Prodigy in two hours. Phenomenal. And it's a great... The Pendulum remix of Voodoo People is great on record. It's sort of... Because Voodoo People is such an old song, mm-hmm. the production... I mean, the production's obviously amazing, but it's not grippy. It's not as in your face as if they'd done it now. And then Pendulum have really just upped it a gear. Mm-hmm. It's a really good remix, cover remix, um, and live. Like, everybody knew it was coming. So the anticipation was 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 there. And then when it hit... And of course, it's in Australia, so it's, it's like fucking during the days. Yeah. You know, six o'clock at night, so it's bright sunshine. Um, but everyone out to have a dance and have a good time. And it was just, again, I could have picked, I could have picked um, a thousand other songs, but this one stuck in my head as, as just, uh, yeah, a, a great performance yeah. to the point where the prodigy didn't do it an hour later. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. That's very cool. Do you know Tom Morell was on this? No. Yeah. Really? Rage guitarist. Yeah. So wow. the so the original uh, Voodoo People is uh, so the riffs based on uh, Very Ape, which is the Nirvana song. And what? Yeah. I didn't know that. So um, in this version, they've got Tom Morell from Rage playing the guitar riff mm-hmm. throughout it. Um, and the other cool fact. Uh, I found out about this song is when Keith Flint of The Prodigy died mm-hmm. Classic FM played a cello version of Voodoo People as a tribute <laughs> Wow <laughs> Commercial money grabbing fucking cunts do something fun It's amazing likes Fuck you global <laughs> um, So can you like see, see it was interesting I was interested when, when you were saying about because when you were saying about the original Voodoo People as being kind of scratchy and the production being good but not being amazing, I yeah. don't recognise that. Is you that so, is that something that you've? But is that something that an ear you've got because you're you're a producer, you're a That's interesting. sound engineer? Like, do you can you pick up on these kind of things? That's interesting. It's like the first time you hear a record, uh, any song that's the version that you like whether mm-hmm. it's a live version or a demo or whatever and then anything else after that de- de- hard, for me it's very hard to to live up to that mm-hmm. um, and obviously i heard the original voodoo people but you go back to like charlie says or um all the jilted album mm-hmm. it's great and the production like there's a 10 minute youtube video when they take apart how they've made i can't remember what song it is but they'll the intricacy of the prodigy songs is unbelievable but i would say that with modern production techniques yeah that there's a stronger bass there's a fuller sound on this remix but then maybe maybe it's just the style of the song itself the the the, the remix itself like i prefer the 2016 version of first big weekend of the summer yeah rather than the original and there's fucking no denying that the original's scratchy oh um, yeah yeah <laughs> But, uh, I, I mean, I do have, like, watching telly with me is a pain in the arse. Like, I will sit and go, well, that's out of sync, or that's off, or they've used that sound effects already for something else. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, tiresome. And, like, I used to work in a post-production studio where we would do sound effects or voiceovers or things like that. 
as a sound engineer, I'm not very good sound engineer, but watching films, I know enough to watch films and ruin it for myself. Mm -hmm. So like when Train Spotting 2 came out, it talked to me because I got older as the film got older. I'm 42 and I'm fucked. But when they do the Choose Life rant in the top of Harvey Nicks, yeah, uh, and the girlfriend asks Renton, "What does Choose Life mean?" It's all replaced ADR. It's all replaced dialogue, and it's done so badly, and it really took me out of the film. Oh, really? Oh, fuck! It's awful. It's like I came out and texted my old sound engineer in Boston. He was like, "Yeah, we recorded that here, but I didn't mix it." <laughs> and wow. it's like it's so bad and then when you know what to look for in a film you see it all the time anything filmed outside has got adr audio uh, audio dialogue replacement yeah. and if it's done badly it fucking stinks so is that is that just i mean i can understand it being outside because mm. you can't control the sound yeah of outside and it's a lot more difficult but for that scene in particular like why would they have to why why would that would it just be like they didn't capture it well yeah it could have been a, a problem with the original recording it could be 40 extras in the back with glasses and plates and all that mm-hmm. when they shouldn't have been doing it they were right beside a massive glass wall so maybe the sound just bounced off and was shit maybe they well they didn't change the dialogue but it was just honking it was yeah it was a real fucking shame it, it, it spoils the movie entirely for me because so that's I mean, what I was going to ask. Does it annoy you? Because because I get I get I get a similar like I get comedy like particularly well not not particularly live comedy because I still laugh at live comedy. But I've found because since becoming a comedian, I don't laugh at much on TV at all. Yeah. Um, and it it annoys me because I remember how much I used to laugh, mm-hmm. and I feel <laughs> like it's kind of been taken away from me. Do, do you does it annoy you the fact that you know the intricacies of what's going on uh, yes i would rather it's the same comedy as well uh because that's the majority of mm-hmm. my radio work as well um you stand at the back and go well i appreciate what you've done there or why didn't you go this way or just a, leap, a wee bit further you had two more bits in that um but but then when you do when it comes to the the audio replacement in film and telly it happens on 50% of the stuff you see and you would never know and it's perfectly done but it's mm-hmm. when it's done badly and it takes you out of it but for comedy, when you are taken up in the moment and you're laughing your soul out because it's genuinely well written and it's funny and you you don't have the time or you, the the inclination to think about the technicalities of it and you really barely laugh, that's fucking gold. Yeah. And that... Uh, it, 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 it's delightful when it happens. I wish you could make me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Guilty pleasure. Uh, oh, I love this. Good. How, how will I know by Whitney Houston? Yeah, man, like, hands up, this was a... Uh, Evan Dandel from Lemonheads can do... He does loads of covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got so many bootlegs of him from gigs, and uh, he'll cover... He, I've, I've discovered loads of music through the covers he's done, and he did a cover of this on a B-side in one of the singles. Oh, cool. And then I found 
the original and you know what it's just joyful oh it's just so much fun it's a breakup song but it's got the best pop producers of the 80s it's got the best pop gospel soul singer of the 80s it's just fun um all over it it's 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 like the 1980s version of crazy in love yeah it's so good i mean it it is so good because it was originally for janet jackson Written for Janet Jackson. Written, written for Janet. This, this, this is what I find that I find this fascinating about pop music: the fact that songs are written for people, mm. and then they end up getting passed down, and they become massive hits for the people that. Oh, Kylie passed on um, "Murder on the Dance Floor." Yeah, I mean that that that, that kind of shit that, that that fascinates me because it's it. I, I never because you don't work in the industry, you don't realize that's how it works. Like there's. There's just these master songwriters, mm-hmm. and then well, it, the, it just gets it, it almost gets like optioned out to uh, different artists. Auction. You say optioned, but auctioned. At yeah, times, well, that's you true. Know. Yeah. Have you read uh, any of John Niven's books? No, I've not. You should. You're fucking. He's right up your alley. Yeah. Um, his first books is best. Kill your friends. Oh no! Yeah, loads of people have loads of people have recommended that to me, and I saw it in HMV today. So I'm gonna go and buy it. Oh. It's a great read. The f- they made a film out of it with Nicholas, the guy from the wee boy from About a Boy. Oh yeah, 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 oh, yeah. yeah. Up. The films, the film does not do the book justice. The book is a million percent down your shit. Because when I read it, I was trying to work out if did I see that band or is that a made up band? Like I, I was there with all my with a, my ra- uh, radio stuff in the back. I wasn't quite there. I wasn't quite old enough or advanced enough, but. I heard all those stories mm. and those experiences, and part of the story is when they're auctioning off, um, or it's a bidding war for a particular single. All right, and that, as far as I know, I think that happens in the step before as well. So you've got these songwriters just churning out fucking hits, and then it's if you know they'll demo it up, and mm-hmm. if Robbie William doesn't buy it, then fucking Ronan Keaton will. Yeah. There you go. There's some cultural references for yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I had no idea that Janet Jackson. Yeah, why just it, turn it down. I don't. I don't understand. No. But when they were, when they eventually went to Whitney Houston, it was decided because uh, you say it's a breakup song, and mm-hmm. it's it's not actually. It's it's quite a wholesome kind of song because it's about a girl that is attracted to a boy and she doesn't know whether he likes her as well. Mm. Yeah. Okay, and, that's, um, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it was given. It was given to Whitney Houston, and and the the, the songwriters were delighted. Because it is quite a wholesome song, and at the time Whitney Houston had such a wholesome image, mm-hmm. and it was thought that Janet Jackson didn't have as wholesome an image. And then you look at what Whitney Houston eventually became, and you go, "Fucking hell, man! That's a that's a slide down the wholesome ladder." Totally. You look at the video, and she must be, I don't know, twenty four yeah. tops, uh, and just young, beautiful, sprightly. And then turns out Coke's bad. Yeah, Bobby Brown's bad. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I wouldn't. Uh, lots of Whitney Houston stuff's great. I wouldn't put it on in the house. But this particular song, and I think it's probably because it's rooted in my experience with, or I found it through Evan Dandel. It's oh, how will I know, man? It's fucking. Mm. I mean, I never, I didn't think I was going to get three pints in and start saying tune, but <laughs> fucking tune. Do you uh, do you remember where you were when you heard she died? No. Well, I do. <laughs> Was that a difficult wank? <laughs> where were you, Mark? 
I was uh, I was sitting on her bath that she used to smoke crack in. No, uh, I uh, no. The reason I remember it is because I was I was down in Birmingham and I was doing the Glee Club, mm. and it was Pride. I think it was Pride weekend. I don't know. It might have been, but I ended up. I went with uh, a couple of other acts to this uh, gay bar after the gig, and. Um, it kind of got announced, and I've never seen a place go fucking so solemn. It was like it, 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 it genuinely like I'm not I'm not comparing the two, but it must have been what it's it was like good. when you saw that JFK had died, Fuck or, me. or, a, or the <laughs> Twin Towers and stuff. But genuinely, oh there was a, there was just a huge fucking. But yeah, I just I've, I've never seen a place just just lose all energy immediately. I tell you. Uh, I compared this song to Crazy in Love um, mm-hmm. when I I used to DJ in pubs and clubs in Edinburgh and we'd all go down to it was called Faith it used to be Wilkie House Wilkie House was a proper club Faith was a fucking chrome shithole but we got in free and we'd get drinks off our mates behind the bar and the DJ had Crazy in Love two weeks before it was getting radio play and he must have got a version of that and I saw the room explode in concentric circles it was the best as people realised what was happening and what was playing, it was the best reaction to a record I've ever seen. Oh, cool. It was unbelievable. I'll never forget it. The way, like, chills from everyone, and everyone just so excited to hear that song in a club. Mm. And it's such a good song, Crazy yeah. Love. Fuck me, it's not a guilty pleasure. It's oh, it's brilliant. A Aye. tune, and it's the, the, the She Lights sample, and, mm-hmm. oh... The She Likes nearly made it onto the playlist. That's She Likes is on a lot of my Spotify playlists, and um, <laughs> yeah, and even back when Crazy in Love came out, uh, Snow Patrol were still cool, and they covered Crazy in Love the yes, same. Yes, I remember doing that. the rap. Do you not yeah. think uh, Jay Z fucking ruins Crazy in Love? No. Why would you say what? No. I think I, I think that bit. I hate I hate rap breaks in songs oh. like. I was listening to it. the only I tell you the only one I like right and this is and because it's because it's so so oh, out of place and so is stupid. This, is it going to say world in motion? No, right, there's two I like. There's two I like. <laughs> John Barnes his rap in World in Motion and see Dizzy Rascal when he comes in to the like I think it's like a 2006 well, version of Do They Know It's Christmas? <laughs> I fucking love it, man. Bonkers. I love it. I've I've actually wanted I've wanted to if I had the editing skills, I'd love to be able to put him in the original eighty four version. Wow. And just edit him in and then get like stock footage of like Boy George looking quizzical and George Michael going, What the fuck's going on here? <laughs> I can't I I I can't believe that the original version of Bandy hasn't been cancelled. It's just so uh out of place. Uh, the whole of Africa is fucked. We can't grow anything. It's, it's mm-hmm. just so. I mean, it's not. Well, it is offensive, I imagine, to people who live in. Well, Africa, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Um, it's a great song. Uh, yeah, but it's factually completely bullshit. Oh, factually, it's ridiculous. Like, do they know it's Christmas at all? It's one of the biggest fucking Christian countries in the world, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Oh, let's get into colonialism. That'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right. Song that reminds you of a moment or place, and you've picked Sparky's Dream by Teenage Fan Club. Yeah, 
will keep this as brief as I can. I uh, went to Benicassim in Spain. A friend of ours had been said it was amazing. So we went, uh, flew to Valencia, got a £3 train up, and it was, we, we got an apartment that was cheap as chips and had the best four-day festival because it was the height of summer in Spain. The festival started at six in the afternoon or so and then it went on till three in the morning. It was amazing. Second time we went, the year after, we thought, oh, I'll fly to Barcelona and then, like, completely fucked up getting the train the first night. It was like, right, we'll get on it. Nine o'clock in the morning tomorrow. Went out, had a massive night. I got to the train station at three. Trains are all sold out. Spent... 350 euros to get down to the festival but then had just the best festival we saw i mean it was this was like 2008 so it was just before people like me ruined it for everybody else you could just walk up to the bar and pay cash Mm -hmm. and nobody blinked because nobody in spain drinks like british folk do so it it was a lovely atmosphere and people were there for the music as were we although we you know, had a fair amount of drinks, but like we saw Leonard Cohen in the afternoon. Oh, fuck, I wept at Leonard Cohen. It was so good. But then walked immediately into like Richard Hawley. We saw Muse at two in the morning, so Morris oh. at three in the morning. I went in to see Spiritualized, um, and it was in a little tent, little oh, 300 people tent, something like that. And um, he came on and played the harshest fucking noise, absolute <laughs> white noise for about five minutes and then just stopped and it went, all right, cool, the tourists have gone and then played this beautiful melodic set. He just went to fucking get rid of cunts. Oh, and, yes. I mean, what a prick move, but for me, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, and then at the back, like if, you know, you get split up at a festival, you need a meeting place. There was an indie disco and... A mate of mine had lost her camera, so to try and make her feel better, we went to dance to Pulp, calling people, mm-hmm. and shooting you know, blah, 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 blah. And then Sparky's Dream by Teenage Fan Club came on, and everyone left this fucking hanger, and it was me dancing on my own to Sparky's Dream. And I can picture it right now. It was the happiest I've ever been, and for three and a half minutes of indie pop, jangly nonsense. And I'm sure the DJs just appreciated one guy <laughs> having a great time on his own. And then I grabbed my girlfriend at the time's wrist. I went, tonight isn't getting any better. Let's go home. And it was the best decision I've ever made. Oh, nice. Because, you know, if you can leave a party before it ends, fuck Yeah. Me. I'm in two minds with Teenage Fan Club. You're wrong. Well, <laughs> I Why? love a lot of it. But I think every song's the same. Nope. Um, I love the pure. I love the pure popness. I love uh, like likes of this song and ain't that enough. I love it, mm-hmm. and I th- I love the I love the Beach Boys birds harmonies. I love okay. I love all of that. I love adore the fact that Kurt Cobain considered them the best band in the world. The mm-hmm. the respect they're held with. But then I went to see them a couple of years ago live, and I remember standing there going. All of these songs are just the same song. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if I agree with that. They're not all... Well, actually, I'm trying to think when I've seen them live when they've been amazing. They're not consistent live, I'll give you that. The first scene apart was on telly, mm-hmm. and the radio uh, of the Grand Prix album was on. Yeah. And I went, that's amazing. And I went to Glasgow with a five-round pocket. I went to Missing Records and went, what was the song that was on? the Teen Park coverage, and bought it. CD single, all four songs were amazing. Um, and then my bro- they, they, did gig- they did gigs in Glasgow, Manchester, and London, where they played 
three nights in like the three eras, the three mm-hmm. decades, I suppose, that they were played. And my brother got tickets to the warm up, which was in the Livingston Art Centre, Civic Centre, the kind of place they got fucking lottery money. You yeah. know? <laughs> so epic venue, amazing sound. And they came out and played for two and a half hours and they changed drummers through the different eras and they were phenomenal and wild. And I don't. I think we've got differing opinions on that. I couldn't yeah. quantify. Oh no, it, I, I I fully accept that I'm probably wrong. But they, they are. They can be sketchy live. I've seen them a good number of times, but um, yeah, like on record, some of the later stuff, the the, the new fucking. Hell, I'm such a prick. I wanted to support them. You know, with Spotify, you don't have to buy albums mm-hmm. anymore. And I'm not going to start buying vinyl. So I bought the fucking new album on cassette for seven pound because I, you know. <sighs> I know, it's Fucking getting luck. dusty somewhere. But it's, it's not even that good an album, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm sorry, Norman, I'm sure you'll fucking cope. <laughs> right, nearly done. Hidden Gem. It's a song called Easy Way Out by Colin McLeod. Show me the easy way out, babe. Show me the easy way out. I got the way to time. Splitting my mind, but I still want you to show me the easy way out. Mm -hmm. yeah this is um one of the radio jobs that we had was a festival in in inverness called go north Mm -hmm. and new art festival uh music film spoken word i suppose and tech and things like that so we were doing a radio station for coverage of it and we got loads of bands we we didn't book the bands i have to say i can't remember the guy who did but he knew what he was talking about uh, so we had this tent set up, and they would come in and play radio sessions. And Colin McLeod came in and played, and the world stopped. It was, f- I use the word phenomenal all the time. He's so technically gifted on the guitar. His lyrics are mean something to him, mm-hmm. and therefore mean something to everyone else. He would do uh, duos with um, Rachel Stramani. You heard of her? No. Oh, right. So get on to, on YouTube, there is a channel called Songs from the Shed, and it's right. some guy up in the north, and every time a band would go through, I guess, Inverness, he would convince them to come in and do a little session in the shed acoustically. And the version of Easy Way Out that Colin McLeod and Rachel Somani do is absolutely beautiful. And this was a contender for a sad song, but sort of, um, I don't know, got beaten out about what to get it in. But when I sort of looked him up, because I haven't seen that much for him, he's had a, a few a few songs that have been particularly good. Um, so I googled him, and it turns out for somebody who's, you know, unrecognised, he's mm-hmm. supporting Cheryl Crow and Roger Taylor. So Wow! <laughs> yeah, uh, Roger, I don't know how, he supports Cheryl Crow through, you know, how venues just match up people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they got on really well. So he, he's been on a massive tour with Cheryl Crow. And I don't know how him and, and the drummer from fucking Queen <laughs> met up. But um, it's it's nice. But when you go back to like like 2012 and this Songs from the Shed YouTube thing, that's how I remember it. Ah. And uh, it's... Well, I mean, that is a proper breakup song. Yeah. Um, it's He's he's a lovely guy. He used to have a, like a stupid... Um, alternate name he used to be called the the boy who caught the sun, boy who chased the sun, something right. like that. Um, and somebody went fucking drop that, just call yourself Colin. And <laughs> this and a song called California, um, and it's all 
poignant, sad Scottish indie. Yeah. But um, and he's a crofter. That's his, his main job. He, All right. He wow. Lives up in Argyll somewhere, and because uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of Scottish music on your playlist. A lot Is of Scott. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. Of, well, there's a fair whack of Scottish bands. Do you think? I don't. I don't I've never thought you Scottish music, particularly in the past thirty years, gets the kind of recognition it deserves. Because it's it's never looked at as fondly as Manchester or even Liverpool. But mm. I mean, some of the bands that have been produced by Scotland are incredible. Oh. We punch above our weight in pretty much everything we do. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Maybe a passion or something, but... It's despite uh, the fucking English. I think that's fucking true, man. Like, <laughs> oh, we're going to be net zero by 2050. We're going to be doing it in 2045. <laughs> Fuck yes. Um, I mean, you look at Mogwai. Um, yeah. Snow Patrol. Can we claim Snow Patrol? Franz well, Ferdinand. Franz Ferdinand. So. Travis. Average white band. Yeah. Um, what's the name from Aberdeen? Uh, Amy McDonald. Uh, not who I was thinking of, but Emily Sandy and Emily Annie Sandy, Lennox and Annie Kate Tungstall and the Fence Collective. Have you read Vic Galloway's book about the Fence Collective? No. Oh, send you. Jesus, fuck. I read it on holiday and I thought I knew about the Fence Collective. But Jesus Christ. So the aliens and the beta bands. and. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Katie's part of that and Pictish Trail and Broken Chanter and fucking knackered kneecap and <laughs> but they built because just for the pure nothing else to do they would set up these gigs and ha they literally built this community and started a record shop out of interest and talent and boredom um it's a great book it's really interesting so yeah we, i'm looking through the list now and i do see quite a lot of scottish bands yeah. but that's i don't know if that's an affinity or if that's um just recognising that there's fucking class band. Mm. But, like, well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say Calvin Harris is known for being Scottish. Mm -hmm. he, I think he happens to be Scottish. <laughs> but yeah, Biffy yeah. Clyro yeah. couldn't be more Scottish if they tried. The exactly, Proclaimers. Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you listened to the Proclaimers' first album? Uh, probably not, no. Oh, Jesus Christ, sit and listen to that back to front. Throw mm -hmm. the, I think it starts with Throw the Arway. It's a political album. Throw the Arway is people couldn't about the pronunciation of the rolling R and, mm -hmm. and people couldn't understand them. So they went, fuck you, we'll write a song about it. And like my geography teacher at school was this wacky old guy, but he would play um, Letter to America mm -hmm. and explain the exodus to North America yeah. because of the failure of what industry. Um, the Proclaimers' first album, brilliant. And if you can get away from the 500 miles Hogmanay shit. Oh, um, I love the Proclaimers. Yeah. Really well, like turns out you don't know the first album. Well, no, I don't. I love I love everything but the first album, if anything. <laughs> I love that one that was in Shrek. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> to be uh, honest, you will. You, it, it's one of those things where you'll know much more of the first album than you actually realise. There's a good cap in hand on it. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, don't call me out. <laughs> right. Uh, favourite song. Just Free Rain. One of your favourites. Stoned Love by The Supremes. Don't you 
fucking hell, this is in the same sort of category as just when you're thinking things over mm-hmm. by the Charlatans. This is warm C major, I think it's in. Um, the chords build and build and build. And then it's a confident woman. I don't know if Diane Ross is still in the Supremes at no, this point. No, see, this is, this is, I didn't realise this. This is after Diana Ross. This was a first major hit after Diana Ross had left. Right. So, but, yeah. Now I want to tell you of a great love. And it's about getting stoned and shagging. No, it's not, Alan. Oh, fuck <laughs> off, man. See, this is... Music to me is oh, 80% about the lyrics. Well, yeah, I mean, like, genuinely, like... I, I cannot when I'm when I'm researching for these recordings, I look at the songs and I read about them and stuff like that. And to be honest, you, you can pretty much come up with your own interpretation of what songs are about. Oh, absolutely. That's the point. That's but, poetry. But in this case Oh fuck. <laughs> it's not it's not about it's not about drugs at all. It's um it's uh, as pretty much every seventies song was about it's about Vietnam. How? Well, it's uh, so it was initially called Stone Love, right? right? And the idea of Stone Love was that there was this love, and it was, it was basically a plea for more compassion in the world, right? Mm. And the idea of, and it was a seventeen-year-old that wrote the song again, someone out with the Supremes, and it was it was given to them, um, and it was it was this plea for. there's an inherent goodness and an inherent compassion and an inherent love in everyone and it's like a stone right you can't shift it so that's why it was called stone love and the reason it was released as stoned love was simply due to a clerical error someone wrote it wrong and the supremes went oh we'll sing that yep oh i mean there's a beauty in that for Mm -hmm. sure um that is oh, well. That's the thing, man. Like, you go back, like I said, I said the modern way of letting, letting go. Like the entire uh, meaning behind the song changed when they had that one word in that I, had, mm-hmm. I didn't hear for two or three years. And there's certainly been songs that have meant everything to me, and they're so sad, and I can't listen to them. And then when I go back to them, like, oh well, that's what a naive way of seeing that, or what a literal way of seeing that. Yeah. So that's oh fucking well, that's the next five years of listening to that song completely differently. It's <laughs> um, a great, I, I, great song. Oh, it's a wonderful song, and I discovered it from the Stone Roses. They yes. play it when they came on at Heaton Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They use it for that 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 entire comeback tour. They used it as their their intro music. Mm. It's very cool. Closing <sighs> track. Perfect link, um, because closing track is I'm the Resurrection by Stone Roses. Big fan of the Stone Roses, have been throughout. I uh, had the complete Stone Roses when I was younger, uh, with you know, which goes from the scratchy gra- garage stuff up to mm-hmm. to the overproduction of Fool's Gold, um, and then like it's uh, the second half of I Am the Resurrection is my ringtone on my phone. Um, <laughs> it's just overconfidence and absolute gall of somebody to to proclaim themselves the the fucking Jesus the the yeah. resurrection is wonderful. And I think 
uh, that compared to, or it was a sport. It was the same time as grunge and so on and mm-hmm. it's the antithesis to that and it was a wee bit too when i started getting into the stone roses it was fool's gold and um ah fucking one love mm-hmm. but to go backwards and find this and like here's fucking name dropping for you when i left aberdeen um <laughs> we'd had i used to do a show in aberdeen where we'd get bands on and because there's only at the time there's only one radio station in Aberdeen and I fucking put in the, the legwork I would get all these bands to do sessions or interviews whatever and I got Rick Witter to come in when he was doing the solo stuff yeah and uh, he was lovely and you know my mate was delighted because he took two sugars in his tea and it was all you know <laughs> a brush with showbiz and then a year later when I was leaving Aberdeen I uh, had my leaving do and it just so happened that Rick Witter was DJing so we're like fucking guest lists and all that and because we're fucking little twats, we turned up to the nightclub at 10 o'clock and he's taking his jacket off going, all right, lads, like no one else there. And we're like, yeah, yeah, have, yeah good. Um, we've been drinking since about four. So if you could just play Resurrection at the end, but not like the three minute version, it's got to be the eight minute version. Mm-hmm. If you play the three minute version, we're leaving. But like, they've... And then he went, right, cool, fuck off, lads. <laughs> and we, you know, sat in the corner and got presumably drunk. But at the end, he played... Uh, the, the full version and it's got that little break in it yeah oh as as the bass rolls over and you discover that they're playing the longer version and it that encapsulated the end of my sort of time in, in aberdeen yeah and uh oh it's just got a great groove to it it's the, it's the stone roses at the best it's so good like that but that i mean that 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 arrogance and that <laughs> sheer self-confidence like because i mean even the album like it ends with him going on the resurrection and it starts with i want to be adored and it's just <laughs> that kind of do you know what i mean that 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 sheer level of just knowing how good you are and mm-hmm. what annoys me about people that kind of deride the stone roses are they all they always go to ian brown's voice they always mm-hmm. go to the fact that whereas and the actual album, it's it's not that bad. It's not bad. He's a decent, On decent pace, singer fine, yeah. for, and it, it, I mean, it, it has ebbed away. But in the comeback gigs, it didn't really matter because the the crowd were carrying all the songs anyway. Yeah. And they're kind of character characterized as like this kind of indie band, and they're not like the. I think there's so much about the Stone Roses that because like like sort of Fool, Fool's Gold and uh, Begging You and stuff has mm. got dance elements to it. Oh, I definitely. And then, house elements. yeah, and a lot of the a lot of the second album's very, very bluesy, like properly, mm-hmm. like uh, driving south and mm-hmm. love spreads is huge blues oh, riffs. But like, see the first album, it, it's it's jangly pop. Yep, like it, it's it's the birds. Pop it's, do you know what I mean? It is very, very jangly, a uh, melodic pop. Yeah, but they were always experimental as well, like mm-hmm. like um, Waterfall, and yeah. I think it's, it's a blot on their jotter, like the song after Waterfall is Waterfall literally reversed with yeah. an overdub of, of vocals, Yeah, um, but no one else was doing that, and again, that's fucking arrogance, mm-hmm. and one of the things that you, I love about music is that... It, or, when you find a band who's got this alchemy of an incredible bass player, incredible guitarist and songwriter, mm-hmm. and the drummer who, like, if you've got a good drummer, you're halfway there. Yeah. And then, so you look at, um, like, I wouldn't say Kasabian or one of those bands, unfortunately, but 
that Norwood say Oasis are one of the, those bands. They had a singer and a songwriter, mm-hmm. but fucking the rhythm section were ropey as fuck. Yeah. Um, but then you look at obviously the Beatles or the Stones, and it just comes together. What are the chances that these people are going to meet and make these things happen? And that's yeah. magic. And you know, Bowie um, wouldn't have been the same without the band that he had with him, or. Mm-hmm. I suppose Whitney Houston without those particular mm-hmm. songs or Quincy Jones producing some of it, then then it's never quite the same, and it's those bits of magic. Yeah. Oh, well, do you want to know? This is this is quite magical. Do you want to know how this song was written? Oh, I'd imagine it's going to shatter all my hopes and dreams. No, no, no. This is this is this is if anything going to enhance uh, what you think of the song anyway. So when they were rehearsing and when they were writing this album, Manny just out of the blue when he, when he was kind of warming up he would play various bass riffs and he played the bass riff for Taxman by the Beatles mm. but he played it backwards right mm-hmm. and he kept doing this and kept doing this and then Rennie kind of started playing along with it and then John Squire started playing along with that and they did this for a couple of days and that's how this song came about just from a jam that's yeah. incredible because oh. now, now, like when when I when I when I learned that, I went back and listened to it, and I was like, "Fuck it, it's the Taxman bass riff, backwards." Oh, fuck. Right. That's and, but that's you a, must get that. Oh, that's an arrogance as well. Like that's a sheer. That's not an arrogance. Arrogance is the wrong word. That self confidence of just going. Well, they can't fucking do you for turning the notes around. There's only fucking twelve. Of them. Oh no, and I don't. I don't mean it in that kind of way. I just mean that kind of. I don't know. I suppose every band's like that. Where. It'll take that small spark of something that will just. It's like if you like when you mentioned it earlier on. It was a Get Back documentary. Mm. Have you have you watched it yet? Yeah, I'm like halfway through the whole thing. That, now that that scene where McCartney is literally coming up with the song Get Back. Oh yeah, in front of Ringo and George, and you're yeah. going, that's incredible. Like that is genuinely incredible from that. From that small where he's just going to then become like one of their most successful songs, it's like. But I mean, I think there's, I think there's a not in every song, but there's a lot of major pop hits that have fallen out of people in twelve minutes. Mm -hmm. But you must get the same when you're writing comedy. Like you just get that wee thing. There must be ones that fall out of you. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I suppose it's bizarre, and that's that. It's almost frustrating in a way because if you knew how it worked, then you'd just do it all the time. But well, there's not, there's not. There's can't some... all be Jack Whitehall, can we? Love <laughs> 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 well, we're comparing music and comedy to having a great shit. No effort, no one wipe. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, I, I would. Uh, I, that, it, that is where the magic lies where there's an alchemy of people and it can do it in a jam over a couple of days or mm-hmm. you know Paul McCartney woke up and wrote yesterday yeah. and had to go to people and say what song is this because I dreamt it and I, I, there's no way I made this up in my dreams yeah. um, and, and he had to be convinced us you know that, that Beatles documentary is long mm-hmm. but there's moments when like they're all sitting around read, or the the crew are sitting around reading newspapers and eating toast and he's writing let it be yeah <laughs> like how conditioned must you be to i know i know very cool right that's us 
That's us. Thank you, thank you very, very much for this. Uh, Sorry, mate, it's went on a bit, but no, it's been a proper, proper cracking, cracking chat. I really enjoyed it, man. I forgot that we were recording a thing, and I've got my he- full headphones on, and it just—it feels like we're down the pub. Ah, good. No, thanks so much for this, man. I'll see you soon. All right, man. Cheers, Cheers see you soon. Thank Bye. you. And that's that. Episode 14 done. Thank you so much to Al for uh, joining me on the podcast and thanks so much for sending over such a good playlist. Um, Going to be back next time with another fantastic guest. In the meantime, uh, you can follow us on at Perfect Play Pod and uh, let us know any guests you'd like to come on and I'll try my best to get them on. Let us know any tracks you want to discuss or any questions at all or just to give us a nice wee shout out. That would be cracking. You can uh, follow Al. He's not got a huge amount of shit to say online um, but what he does say is pretty funny. Uh, so you can follow him. All his details will be on the episode description. All my details will be on the episode description as well. Obviously it's always at Mark Nelson Comic on absolutely fucking everything. Uh, at Perfect Play Pod on Twitter for the podcast and as I may have mentioned in the last series my special is finally out uh, it's doing pretty well it's been very very well received um, people seem to be loving it so if you want to watch that it's completely free completely free hour long comedy special that I recorded at the stand in Glasgow last year uh, I would love you to watch it and I'd love you to let me know what you thought of it if you just go into YouTube and type in Mark Nelson Comedy Special it'll come up uh, so yeah let me know what you think um, and as always if you've enjoyed the podcast and you've enjoyed them before please leave us a wee review leave us a five star if you can even better to get us up the algorithms and get more people listening to the podcast you can uh, leave a wee review on the Apple Podcasts thing uh, if you've got the time that would be absolutely cracking but in the meantime I will leave you with the words of the wonderful James Taylor, who once said, never give up, never slow down, never grow old, and never, ever die young. See you next time. Bye-bye.